Well, I'm just so excited about tonight. And, and, you know, we've already turned to Luke chapter 22. That's where we want to begin tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to focus in upon verse 15 in just a little bit. You know, I'll never forget when we walked into a theater years ago with great anticipation to watch what has really been the most dramatic um, film I have ever seen. And we had actually purchased the whole theater for our our church up north uh, to watch this great drama. And I'm speaking of The Passion of the Christ. How many of you have ever seen that movie? That was an awesome movie. So there was a lot of build-up to it. I mean, some of you will remember this. And the first scene, actually, was a quote from Isaiah 53. And it, it was this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by His wounds we are healed. The next scene was they showed a full moon, which spoke of the fact that it was Passover. The next scene was the Lord speaking to Peter. And in Aramaic, Peter is Kepha. So he said, Kepha, well, I have a son. His name is Peter. I have two sons, Greg and Pete and Sarah and Lily. I have four children. And we often would call Peter, Israel is his name, Kepha. So he was probably about, what, mom, seven or eight, I don't know. But when in, this, in the drama, the Lord said, Kepha, I looked over, and my son had tears, you know, strolling down his face. He was like, whoa. Hey, tonight, we're stepping into the theater of history. We are going to witness the greatest drama in all of human history. It's really his story. So just imagine like you walk into a theater and you have the title now of the movie, Jesus and Passover. And that may not like, you know, hit you right between the eyes like, whoa, man, that is incredible. But I'm telling you by the end of tonight, you're going to go, Jesus and Passover. Oh, my goodness gracious. Phenomenal, like off the charts. And so the first scene, if you will, you know, I'm just going to use this metaphor just a little. But the first scene, we're going to jump in to begin to explain and unfold this drama. And, and there's not like a drama like it in any other, you know, aspect of human history. Is actually, please look at it with me, in this, verse 15, when Jesus said, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Here's the thing about that word desire. And it's like I would love to have been there to see how we communicated this. Because it's a word that speaks of incredible urgency. It is a word that speaks of he's totally consumed. It's like he's totally into this. It's like he's been thinking about it. He's been dreaming about it. He's been working towards it. With great passion, fervent desire. I have desired to eat this Passover. And he's so passionate about it, he's actually micromanaging this particular event, this Passover Seder, this this meal that is a reenactment of the great deliverance 
of Israel out of Egypt years prior, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But he's behind the scenes actually micromanaging to ensure that it takes place. We read this earlier. Some of you uh, were still coming and things. But basically in verse 10 and verse 12, he sends Peter and John to identify a man carrying a water jug, which is actually forensic evidence that the dinner is going to take place in an upper room in an Essene community located on the upper hill of Jerusalem. Today, it's the traditional site of David's tomb. And look, you have like maybe a, a, like 1.5 million people in Jerusalem. It's like, where are you going to have this Passover meal? Jesus has been working behind the scenes. I don't have all the details, but clearly it, it, it speaks of this. He's been working behind the scenes to ensure that this dinner takes place. And more than that, four days prior... The Lord has personally arranged a massive public event. The only public event He ever put on, that He ever managed, where He would come into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives that overlooks the city of Jerusalem, riding a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. And Jerusalem is like, I mean, could see this taking place. And if they just quieted a bit on the Temple Mount, I'm convinced they would have heard the cries, Hosanna, which means rescue now. These Hosannas and just a bunch of choruses spoke of the fact that actually those who were witnessing Jesus come into Jerusalem believed He would establish His kingdom there on the earth at that particular time. Well, He was establishing His kingdom, winning men's hearts, changing them from the inside out, bringing a new exodus. The drama here is like huge. Micromanaging, ensuring that this Passover Seder takes place. And obviously the reference to Passover here is to a meal, but Passover is also a day in history that God miraculously delivered Israel out of enslavement. It's actually a week also called Passover Unleavened Bread. It also refers to a sacrifice. It's one of the three holy days that the Lord required all Jews, male Jews, to present themselves to Him. But also, okay, it's, it's a meal that commemorated the greatest turning point in Israel's history. Their miraculous deliverance from enslavement from Egypt 1,300 years prior that involved the shedding of lamb's blood placed on the door posts of their home. Here's the question we want to ask. And we're going to come back to it. Why is Jesus so passionate to have this Passover Seder, this ceremonial meal with the disciples? Why is he so passionate? He's like, man, I'm just waiting for this. I mean, it's been like, I'm going to paraphrase, it's been a really tough week. I had the Herodians come after me. I had the Sadducees come after me. I had the Pharisees come after me. I have arranged actually to come into Jerusalem on Nisan 10, the very day that the Passover lambs were set aside and then four days later to be sacrificed. Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem on that very day, presenting him, Himself not only as the Lamb, but as the King. Oh man, I'm not even doing it justice. The, the drama is off the charts. Like, well Lord, why are you so passionate to have this meal? Is it, is it because you know that your time is short, that you're going to be crucified? That's a part of it. 
But, but more than that, there, there's a purpose why he wants to have this meal. It's going to be a springboard uh, to communicate even a greater exodus out of enslavement that would impact the entire world. He's going to communicate a new exodus. He's basically saying that the exodus of ethnic Israel out of Egypt was actually a preview of a greater exodus, release from enslavement that would, he would accomplish in himself. Can I hear a big amen to that? So here's the thing. There's darkness in the world. There's racism. There's hatred. There's abuse. There's dishonesty. And behind it is a false father. Jesus talked about a false father. He talks about, man, you are of your father, the devil. You're listening to the wrong person. And we see crazy breakdown and darkness in our world. Did Jesus come to bring a release, an exodus, that defeats the darkness behind the darkness? To defeat the false father, if you will, and then to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the father except to be through me. I mean, there's brokenness in the world and families and relationships and original design. Is Jesus the release, the exodus, the new exodus that heals the brokenness that is behind the brokenness? Why is he so passionate to have this meal with them? Well, I just want that to linger tonight because we want to come back to that. Is everybody tracking so far? I want to pray one more time, Lord, as as we move on here, just would you baptize us afresh with the Holy Spirit and illuminate our minds like, like, like never before. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you something. There's no way any of us know why we even exist on planet Earth and what the purpose of our life is unless the one who created it, created us, reveals it to us. Israel knew God existed because he had revealed himself to them in a powerful way. God called Israel in existence by calling Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sustained his offspring while enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And then he became personally involved in their release in their exodus. And before he ever gave the law, which sounds like so sterile and stuff, but it's just full of life for sure, he said to them, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It's always been about relationship. And I became really personal with you. I heard your cries, and I came down to rescue, a love rescue. The very existence of Israel speaks of the fact that God exists. The very existence of Israel speaks of the fact that God exists. And the Lord established a calendar uh, for Israel to remind them of powerful divine events in their history. To remind them that, look, I have reached out to you, I have called you, I have sustained you, I have a purpose for your life. That ultimately the entire world is going to be blessed through Israel because of Messiah in Messiah. And this calendar, it could be said, well, I'll explain this that. This calendar could be said was hanging in Jesus' room, if you would. And all of those who followed him, they, they understood this calendar. 
that identified in their history miraculous divine events and revelation. A calendar that's based on the phases of the moon. A lunar calendar. A calendar that coincides with seasonal rhythms. But more importantly, a calendar that identified what God had done in their past with an anticipation of what would he do in their future. And here's what I want to do. I want to have Jose put up a couple scriptures. I want you to turn to to Leviticus chapter 23, if you like. But let me see if we have it. Okay, yeah, good. We have it up there. Look, this calendar identifies seven special times. Let's hang in there. This is very important. That the Lord never wanted Israel to forget. So we have it up on the screen uh, if, uh, if you don't want to turn to Leviticus chapter 23. But it is Leviticus chapter 23. And there's seven special seasons. And the first is Passover. Do you see it there? And we have it on the screen. And verse 6, it's unleavened bread and first fruits and Pentecost trumpets, atonement and tabernacles. And the way in which these days were identified is very important to understand. So Jose, if you can just put that scripture up. Just check this out. It says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Now watch this. I'm going to step down here real quick. Okay. So can we put that next panel up real quick? Thank you. Okay, watch this. These days, very interesting. These feasts, these special seasons, the word for feast in verse 2 is moed, and it speaks of a fixed time, a cycle, or a year. So it's like, in, on this calendar, you bump into it every, every year. So it's set on the calendar. It's not like your birthday. It's there. Okay, number two, the word convocation, migra, speaks of a rehearsal implying realities yet to come. And the word translated feast, chag, in verse 6 is celebration. So look up here real quick. Watch this. All right, this calendar identifies, very important, historical events, like our July 4th speaks of a historical event. We bump into it every year. We celebrate a historical event. But the difference between our July 4th and this calendar was this calendar celebrated a July 4th in a different way, um, an exodus out of enslavement, a new beginning. But what took place in Egypt was a rehearsal of a greater exodus that would impact the entire world. So check this out. The first four holy days tell the story of Israel's exodus from enslavement. Nisan 14. Sounds weird to us. Maybe some of us here tonight the Hebraic biblical calendar, the month of Nisan 14. The Lord said, I want you to identify me. That day is Passover. is the day that Israel was delivered from enslavement in Egypt, which involved the shedding of lamb's blood being applied to the doorposts of their home. It's like the door out of Egypt is covered in blood. Jesus said, I am the door. The next day is unleavened bread. The day Israel soberly is on the move out of Egypt. No time for bread to rise. Leaven is a type of sin which had been judged. It's like, whoa. Well, the Lord brought justice here on Egypt with the judgment of the firstborn. He passed over the homes that were covered in the blood, lamb's blood. 
Nisan's 16 first fruits. Historically, the final clutches of the Egyptian army is destroyed in the Red Sea. Fifty days later, traditionally, it is known by traditionally among Israel, this is the day the Lord began to give the law to Israel there in the wilderness. Now remember, the Lord never wanted Israel to forget their redemptive history because it was a shadow of something greater to come. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And and we've got to flip around a little bit. It's totally well worth it. John chapter 1. I want you to see this. The greatest prophet ever born of a woman, the greatest spokesman for Almighty God in history outside of the Lord Himself, the living Word, Jesus identified was John. We know him as John the Baptist. And I want you to note in verse 29 of John chapter 1, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the, what's the next word you guys? The Lamb. The Lamb of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not the politician of God. Not the, you know, the, the teacher of God. The Lamb of God. That's an immediate association with Passover. That's immediate association to their history. Now, this is not, not a this is not a created being like you know an animal. We're, we're, the Lamb of God watches who takes away the sins of the world. That's much bigger than we than we think. That that's more than just removing a debt. That's removing the power over sin. That's dealing with the consequences cumulative of poor decisions all throughout history. That that's actually making all things new. That's killing death. That's destroying disintegration and breakdown. That's bringing renewal and regeneration. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who who makes all things new. I mean, for John to say that, my goodness gracious, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, immediate association and implication to Passover And John made the declaration as he witnessed the Spirit like a dove descending and resting on Jesus. Look at verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who's preferred before me. He he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. And I did not know him. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified, this is the Son of God. The dove, symbolic of the third person of the triunity, resting on Jesus, testifying to John. It's like, whoa. And that's the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, in our church and in the history of Calvary Chapels, you know, have you ever seen the dove of Calvary Chapels? You know, you've seen that. How many of you have seen that dove out of curiosity? Okay. All right. Now watch this. Um, in origin, it doesn't speak of Maranatha music, okay? There's only a few that got that. Okay. Number two, it doesn't in origin speak of a movement. In origin, in context, the dove was assigned to John the Baptist. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Oh oh my goodness gracious. He brings 
He brings a new beginning, an exodus, a breakthrough that is the greatest need of man. And Jesus spoke, listen, of a specific hour. Over and over again. Have you ever noticed that? An hour he was born. An hour. I mean, let me just read a bunch of scriptures to you. Just check this out. John 2, 4. My hour has not yet come. What hour are you talking about? John 7, 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 12. But Jesus answered saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to the hour, Father. Glorify your name. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that it was His hour. Let me read it again. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that it was His hour. had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. I mean, I mean, what is the hour? The hour, well, the hour is Nisan 14. Historically, it's, it's when lamb's blood were shed and placed on the doorpost of those who were worshiping the Lord God of Israel. 1,300 years later, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the very that very day, and he's going to be lifted up on a stick. He's going to be lifted up on a tree to give his life for the sins of the world. It's not a coincidence that Jesus is called our Passover. It's not a coincidence that it says he was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. That Jesus Christ knew no sin, did no sin. In him is no sin. And listen, the Bible says the Passover lambs were slain at twilight. Leviticus 23.5, on the 14th day of the first month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Twilight is from 12 to 6. Jesus gave Himself in full control. He actually didn't die of crucifixion. He died on the cross. He had the power to lay his life down. He had the power to raise it up. And at 3 o'clock, he gave his spirit up. He laid his life down for us. And Matthew 27, 45 tells us now, from the sixth hour till the ninth hour, which is from noon to 3, there was darkness over the land. Then it reads, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Let me tell you, the drama continues because there was an earthquake. The veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn from the top to the bottom. Righteous individuals in Jerusalem were made alive and resurrected, which were like the first fruits, if you will, that Jesus is setting all things right in himself. And listen, Nicodemus was there. I mean, the ruler who came to Jesus and, and it was like we... You know, you, you must be from God. You're doing great things. You're teaching great things. Jesus says it's, it's, it's much more than that. I, I am God. I came from heaven. Talking about a radical paradigm shift there. And he said, you know, Nicodemus, let me paraphrase this. You are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You've got good blood. I mean, it's like salvation, right? Standing with God is not based on a race. It's based on grace, but it's good. You're a Jew, and you worship the Lord God of Israel. Let me just share something with you. You're at a critical turning point in your life. I'm paraphrasing it, Nicodemus. Because it's like God purposed for you to have new DNA of the most intimate sort. It's like your ethnicity from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Fantastic. Proud of you, man. It's like, you know, I'm in the community as well. But unless, unless my Jewish friend, you are born again, you will neither see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's like, how? And Jesus said he's, he would be lifted up, a common idiom for crucifixion. Look, Nicodemus was there that day. It was Nisan 14. And according to the tractate Pashem, in the Mishnah, the lamb was roasted on an upright pomegranate stick, intestines removed, called the crown sacrifice. Was Nicodemus like, my goodness gracious, there's been an earthquake, there's been darkness, the veil in the temple is torn, there's been resurrection, he's watching all of this. And he knows the traditions that the Passover lambs, you know, were slain on upright pomegranate stick, crown sacrifices, I mean, I don't know, maybe. But like when the final clutches of the Egyptian army were overcome, three days later Jesus resurrected on first fruits, demonstrating that he has begun to set all things right down to the cellular level. And the Bible says the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death, from decay, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of children right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. It's like, whoa. The calendar, the calendar we were talking about, is all about Messiah. It's all about Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says, so let no one judge you regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Hey, let's go back to this question. Why is the Lord, why is the Lord so passionate to have this Savior, this meal? I mean, Passover is a historical day we talk about. It's a week as well. It's a sacrifice. It's also a meal. Why? Well, I want us to go back to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Why? Is he so passionate to celebrate the Passover Seder with the disciples? And this is why. Because he is telling them that he is the fulfillment of Passover in history. It's really about his story. He says in verse uh, verse 17, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is 
given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Look up here for a second. So watch this. All right? Now he's, he is breaking matzah crackers. There's three basically matzah crackers in the Passover Seder, the ceremonial meal. The middle one is actually broken and then it's hidden. It's covered. No doubt speaking of the Lord's death and burial and resurrection. Speaking of the fact that He died between two thieves. Speaking of the fact that He's the second person in the triune nature of Almighty God. But look, here's the elephant in the room. Do this? Do what? Do this in remembrance of me? Um, Will we receive communion on a consistent basis? And the Lord said in origin, do this in remembrance of me. He is talking about, look, I, I want you now to understand that I am the new exodus. I, what The exodus of old was a preview and a prophecy of what I would accomplish. And in so doing, impact the entire world. Can I hear a big amen to that or what? Man, so it's like <laughs> the first four feasts in origin told the story of Exodus, but it was a rehearsal of what the Lord would accomplish. Passover, crucifixion, unleavened bread, the sinless body of the Lord in the tomb, wounds visible, marred by the wrath of God taking the sin of the world upon Himself. First fruits, resurrection. Fifty days later, the beginning of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit. Three thousand Jews coming to know the Lord Jesus. And here's the thing: like, what do we do with all of this? Well, for one, man, we got we praise Him. I mean, is the Father not awesome, or what? I mean, we praise Him, we worship Him. But I'm going to share something with you. There's a big takeaway, you guys. A big takeaway tonight. And I'm going to call it, as silly as me to sound, I'm going to call it getting in the loop. It's another way of saying that often the way forward in life is the way back. And we see this in the Hebrew understanding of time and progress, which is both linear and circular. It's like the Lord never wants us to forget Him. Do this in remembrance of me. Go back to Calvary, Nisan 14, Passover. Never forget me. Never forget unleavened bread. Never forget first fruits. Never forget that back in history, those were just rehearsals to come, and I'm the fulfillment of them. Never forget them. So, actually, the way forward often in our life is the way back. It's like a loop. It's like this. It's like, you know, we move in life linearly, but there are times we need to remember and recall what has gone, what is back, what has taken place. And in doing so, it sets our lives in a renewed trajectory. It brings greater release to us. I mean, getting in the loop renews your life that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the new exodus that takes away the sins of the world. But that's the debt of sin. That's the power of sin. That's the consequence of sin. 
That's destroying disintegration, killing death. Jesus makes all things new in himself. Christianity is more than like the Lord coming down to rescue us from a big bad planet earth and taking us away to heaven. Christianity is about making all things new, beginning now, living in His kingdom, having relationship with Him now. And actually one day, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Him here on planet Earth. Getting in the loop provides the wisdom to remember what we are to remember and to forget what we are to forget. Because in Christ, you have a new identity. That's not based upon what you feel. Which means what's going on in your life may not be what you think it is. We walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, faith is being informed by what is true. Faith is being informed by the one who knows everything. I mean, every day we have some form of faith. We get in cars, we eat you know, Cheerios, we you know, you take medications, we have no idea even how to pronounce what they are and things. So we're, we're, we have limited understanding. Faith is like totally reasonable because it's being informed by the one who knows everything. Rarely do our feelings tell us the truth about God. Rarely do our feelings tell us the truth about even our circumstances. And most people live by feelings. You know, if they feel bad, things are bad. If they feel good, you know, things are good. But it sets our lives in a very dangerous trajectory. Getting in the loop. Man, it's just like, wait, I get in that loop it, 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 it requires me then to remember what I ought to remember. I have new identity in Christ. I'm a king's kid. I have his love. I have his forgiveness. I have hope beyond the grave. I have the most wonderful father that is working out his highest good in my life, no matter if I feel it or not. Can I hear a big amen to that? Getting in the loop answers the big questions in your life. And it's just so good to face them over and over and answer them correctly. Let me just remind you of when the children of Israel finally made into the promised land. So so watch this. They were moving, a little philosophical, moving linearly. They were making progress. Oh man, the Jordan opened. We're in the promised land. We're facing Jericho. So I mean, you know, things were picking up speed, if you will. They'd been in the wilderness for over 40 years. In Joshua chapter 5, the first thing they did was remember Passover. They went back. They got in the loop. And it's like, whoa. I am the one who brought you out of the house of bondage. It's always been about the most wonderful father there could ever be who loves us. Never forget it. Why are you? Okay, okay. So maybe like, you know, I don't know. Things are going fantastic. You got a new job. You, you know, you moved to a new place and things. I mean, there's been, there's been ground taken literally in your life. It's so critical to always afresh be renewed to like, well, like, why do you exist? 
Why are you here? And let me just tell you, you are here for his good pleasure. It's true. It's all about love. To love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are here to embody love of Christ to others. It's like our Papa, our Father, is less interested in our profession. He's more interested in who we are. Who we are. You know, I'll tell you, I'm a grandfather. I love being a grandfather. I mean, I don't know what my grandsons think. We had one over the other day. He's, you know, he's in his crib. He's sleeping in our room. We're babysitting. He wakes up. I grab him. I bring him in our bed, put him down. And I just stare at him for about, you know, <laughs> just staring at him. I'm just finding so much pleasure just looking at this kid. He's just like, man, Papa, what are you doing? I'm just looking at you. Because I like adore you. I love you. Remember Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the, someone tell me, the Father except of you three. A lot of times we quote that, we think, oh, Jesus is the way to heaven. That's what he's saying. He's the way to heaven. The Father is not a location. I mean, it's true. He's the only way to heaven. But that's not what Jesus is saying there. Primarily. He is saying, I am the key to the most beautiful, intimate relationship you could ever have. And getting in the loop. So often the way forward is the way back. Getting in the loop brings that reality afresh to our lives. And that is, I'm a child of the most wonderful Father there could ever be in Christ. But I'm going to say it also tells us that we're a part of a very big plan. The gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, it will not be stopped. Jesus is building a community, a kingdom, a church, for which... Death itself will not conquer. It will never break down. We will never break down. We will be together forever in eternity with the Lord. And now there's a plan taking place. And that plan is for us to not only know Him and have relationship with Him, but to make Him know and embody good works, that people connect the dots and see that there is a Heavenly Father. And this plan is first for the Jew. And then it's for the Gentile. And we're a part of it. So let's say a big amen to that. You know, if we don't find ourselves in the loop on occasion, we will not be in the right trajectory in our life. I just want to finally say, getting in the loop, it just renews your life to see the big picture, the plan. Because the lamb that was slain is the lamb who will reign. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
you know, we've just began to scratch the surface on the calendar, this calendar that speaks of great divine events in history, but are rehearsals of, of, of greater divine acts in the future. The fall feast, trumpets, hey, many believe, refer to the very rapture of the church. Yom Kippur, the second coming of Christ. Tabernacles, God tabernacling amongst us in glory here on planet earth. Hey, listen, Peter, James, and John, when they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Moses and Elijah, two bookends of Judaism, appear, and they heard a father's voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And it says Peter kind of didn't really know what to do, so he started to build booths. How many of you know that story out of curiosity? People like mock Peter. It's like, you know what So stupid, he's making booths. Man, he thought it was tabernacles, man. Probably was. He's thinking the kingdom is now. I don't blame him. He's actually quite astute to do what he did there. But just remember, you guys, when the Lord comes back and He's coming again, He comes as Savior. It's a love rescue. He comes as judge. He brings justice. Yeah, man, I love it. Listen, He comes as the King who will reign on the earth. Hear this. Revelation chapter 4. Chapter 5, excuse me. You are worthy to take the scroll, just listen to this, and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. Revelation 13. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. You guys, listen. What do we do with a message like this tonight? Well, we, we get in the loop and then we get reshot in the right trajectory. And it tells us we got to stay the course because the Lamb of God transcends any intellectual or cultural or consumer fad the world has or will ever offer. Can I hear a big amen to that? Amen. Father, thank you for tonight. Golly, we love you, Lord. And it is good to get in the loop, so to speak. we, We see what really reality is, and that is you made us, you've revealed yourself to us. The Father, before you now, in Christ, we have your love, your favor, your provision. You are working behind the scenes in ways we're not even aware of that is phenomenal. We want to thank you for that. We don't base reality off of our feelings. We, we, we don't walk by sight, which, which, which is going to determine reality for us. Lord, we see through the lens that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, we want to pray for anyone here tonight, our friends, family members, boyfriends, girlfriends, precious ones that you love with everything. 
You love us enough not to leave us the way you are. You, Jesus said, you stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would hear your voice, oh, how we have heard your voice tonight. And open the door, you would literally come in and have relationship. And I just, I just want to ask all, all my brothers and sisters in the church to be in an attitude of prayer. You know, pray for those to your right, to your left, and behind. You know, one of the great lessons of the Passover, histor- historically, now we're talking Egypt, is, you know, that blood, we, you know, we didn't have time to develop the whole thing, but that blood had to be applied. And what am I trying to say? Look, the Lord loves you. He wants to give you something. But, but you must accept it. You must open the door of your life to Him. And with Him comes love, forgiveness, hope beyond the grave. The purpose for which God created you. A relationship that you deep down inside are really longing for because there's no created thing on planet earth can really fill the space that only God can fill in our life. You know, idols are God replacements. And ultimately, they just beat us up. And we live in illusion and we, we end up terribly disillusioned. Jesus said, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. I'll give you, I'll give you water that you drink of. You'll never thirst again. Because you were made to have right relationship with the true and living God. And so... As we're in an attitude of prayer, and you're thinking, well, like, I, I, man, I understand the gospel or Christianity. I, I, I'm getting it more clear than ever before. And that is, there's a God in heaven who not only created me, but he's reached out himself to me. He's revealed himself to me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except to be through me. And you're thinking, you know what? It's like, where do I start? Because the Bible says even the devil believes in God, has an, has an understanding that he exists. But how, how do I have this relationship you're talking about where he's so real and personal? Number one, recognize what he's done for you. He not only made you, but he's revealed himself to you in, in the Lord Jesus. And number two, it's critical that you repent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. He said, what does that really mean to repent? It actually means to change the way you think that then leads to a different lifestyle in your life. But listen, the Lord wants you to turn away from sin. And the greatest sin is rejecting His great love in Christ. That's the greatest sin, is to, is to stiff arm the Lord. He wants you to turn away from sin. Jesus said there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. You be that find a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. Jesus, I am the way, the true life. Change the way you think. Embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And receive Him. He really is just a prayer way. The Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. And, and do it now. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If you hear the voice of God, harden not your heart. So how many of you, just an attitude of prayer, would say, Greg, you know, pray Pray for me, because tonight I want to turn to Jesus Christ 
as my Lord and Savior. I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I want that settled. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand right now. And I'm going to pray for you. And by raising up your hand, you'd be saying yes. I want that settled. You just slip up your hand high so, so I can say, God bless you. I see you in the back. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. Any others? You just raise up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That is awesome. You know, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. That's a, that's a great thing to, to understand because it's true. I mean, to not make a decision for Christ is really to make a decision against Him. So it's like you're either for Him or against Him. And let me just tell you something. This is a major safe zone. This is not a call to join a church. Church is important. It's not a call to like agree to with everything I've even said. This is an invitation to embrace Jesus as your Savior, as your King, as your Lord and God. And He's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you just respond by faith and prayer, He will come in. Anybody else? You raise your hand if you haven't already. Let me pray for you. God bless you guys. That is awesome. Awesome. Listen, those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. And I, I want to invite you to pray this prayer out loud. Okay? You don't have to yell it, but I want you to give voice to it. Because the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. And if you mean this prayer from your heart, I, I'm convinced He will hear it. He will honor it. Uh, honor the prayer. And He's going to come into your life. Let me tell you something. Salvation is the miracle of the moment. It can happen right now. So you pray with me. Okay? Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus. I call upon you now. I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. Paid the debt of sin and my sin. And I thank you, Lord. Lord, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. I believe you conquered the grave and resurrected. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.